why don't we bow our heads again? And as we've sung, we pray that God's word would indeed deal with our doubt this morning. Father, many of us have met this morning and we really do want to be changed by you. We want to hear your voice speak. We want you to put our doubts aside, to help us trust firmly in you. And some of us have come not believing in you at all. And Father, our prayer is that by your word, by your spirit, by your grace, you'd open blind eyes to the truth so that all would believe and trust you as Lord, Saviour and King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, four weeks in fact, Kerry's brother, my wife, Kerry, his, her brother, uh, Gavin, and his fiance, Siobhan, came to visit for the weekend. They live in Dublin. Uh, and uh, we had a great weekend with them. In fact, they came to church with us. It was an incredible moment when they said, we're up for it. We're up for coming to church uh, with you. And they sat just about there. Perhaps one or two of you can remember them. The evening before, Gavin, who's an atheist, He's a well-thought-through guy. He's confident. He's an entrepreneur in life. Everything's going for him. And yet, this idea that his sister and her husband would believe in Jesus Christ, the man being a physical man, and dying on the cross had something to do for us And then that the claim of the resurrection is true. That we believe and trust. And not only that, that our lives are dictated by him. We say we've been transformed by him. He's aghast. He can't quite believe it. He's dumbfounded when we enter into conversation. And for three hours on the Saturday evening before church in the morning, we had a really great conversation about what we believe in. And here's how it ended up. I will never believe in God, says Gavin, until someone shows me the undeniable evidence of his existence. Show me the absolute fact of Jesus Christ, the man, his death and resurrection being something that matters for me today. Only then will I believe. How do we react to our friends, to our family members, to our colleagues, to our neighbours when they pose that question towards us? Perhaps that's for you this morning. Unless I actually know it's true, unless I see empirical data before me that I can add up and say, I know it's true, I get it's true, therefore I can believe in it. How are we supposed to believe? That God exists. That God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. That he rose again three days later. And that it has something to do with me today. 
Well, hopefully this story, and it's a story of Thomas. One of the disciples doubting, and then believing, and then receiving life. Life in all its fullness, as John earlier on in his gospel talks about. In this life as we know it, this side of heaven, and beyond. So let's pick up in John chapter 20, uh, verse 24. See, the reality of the context is absolutely crucial. Remember Dave, last week if you were here, he talked about what had just happened. The stark facts of the death of Jesus. Jesus has died. Some of the disciples watched in horror as the nails were driven through the hands and feet of their friend. They watched as Jesus gasped for breath, hauling himself up on the nails that were rammed in his feet, just to see his arms being wrenched back by the nails pierced in his wrists. The sights, the sounds, the smell of death. It was real. It was still with them. The moment when the Roman spear twisted into the side of Jesus, ripping flesh as blood and water gushed out of his side, just to make sure he was dead. Perhaps they watched as the body was taken down and carted off. Death was real. The death of Jesus It had happened before their very eyes. And last week we saw the reaction of the disciples, Bartomas, to Jesus' reappearance. Verse 24, Thomas was not with them. Why? Why was Thomas not with them last week? At the time, sorry, that Jesus had appeared to them. We don't know. But the death of Jesus must have still been so real uh, to Thomas. Sure, I expect they went looking for him, the disciples. Thomas, we've seen the Lord, verse 25. You think they said that, like that, to Thomas? You think the disciples, who perhaps raced through the streets to find him, we know that they were in the room locked, but they went looking for Thomas. And do you think it was a simple phrase? We've seen the Lord. You can imagine the scene. Maybe as they found him. Maybe one of the disciples has perhaps pinned him up with such excitement. Thomas, we've seen him. He's alive. Everything that he talked about, it's true. Imagine them grabbing his cloak. Thomas, you've got to get this. You've got to understand. But he says to them, perhaps in a a very measured way, we don't know. But it looks quite measured from Thomas. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See what Thomas is saying? Boys, have you gone mad? Dead people do not come back to life. The sounds, the smell, the sight of death was still so real. Dead people do not come back to life. Oh, doubting Thomas, as the saying goes. But isn't it realist, Thomas? Really? When you strip it all back? 
Dead people do not come to life. I wonder how we would have reacted. Would we have been the same? Gavin says, I'll never believe in God until I see undeniable evidence of his existence. It's true, isn't it? We want to see things for ourselves before we believe in them. Isn't it in life? I remember a few years ago, I work in Bicester and someone came crashing into the office. Lanks, you'll never guess who I've just seen in Bicester High Street. Waiting. Gaza. Paul Gascoigne. Undeniably England's greatest footballer of all time. Paul Gascoigne was in Bicester High Street. Nah, he's not. I just do not believe you. I've got to see it for myself. And that was it, I did. I jumped into my car and I drove uh, to Bicester High Street. And you know the word on Bicester High Street? Because I asked someone. Oh, no, no, he's in Bicester Village. So I drove to Bicester Village to see Paul Gascoigne. And I popped uh, into one or two shops. And there was a little commotion a bit further on. And I walked up and there was Gaza. He's my childhood hero of all time. What a player. And he was sat on a bench. I had to see it with my own eyes. In fact, I went a bit further. I walked past once. No, I can't. I can't just walk past, can I? I went straight to him on the park bench. Gaza. Said something ridiculous to him, which I won't mention. <laughs> but I thrust my hand into his. I was grabbing the hand of Paul Gascoigne. I had to see. And even further, I had to touch. It's really him. Isn't it true in so many ways, so many places? Unless I see with my eyes, unless I actually feel, unless I have a tangible experience, only then will I believe. What do your neighbours say? What do your colleagues say? What do your friends and family say? What is the barrier that stops them coming to faith in the Lord Jesus? What is the barrier that stops you coming to faith in the Lord Jesus? Give me the evidence. How many times have you heard it said, if he walked in through this door, the risen Lord Jesus you talk about, if he walked in through this door, if I see him with my own eyes, then I will believe. I've heard that many times. Yet what if you're a Christian here today and you do believe, but you've had a wobble recently? Is it really true? I, I trust it and I read and I come to church uh, each Sunday, but, but is it really true? Are there not times when you sit and, and you think and you look at the world and, and you, you hear uh, others speak and you see your friends and family and you think, can it really be true? Perhaps recently you've been questioning exactly what you believe in. Well, how can this story help us? There's just two simple points. We see doubt. We feel doubt. All of us will doubt. And yet, John writes this to help us believe. John writes this account of Thomas to help us believe. Doubt to belief, which then turns into life. The third point is we go and live away. 
from here. Life. See verse 26. Let's pick the story up again. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. And what's happening with Thomas? He's still intrigued. Something's grabbed him. But look at the disciples. The doors are still locked. They're still fearful of the Jews. They're still fearful to see what might happen to them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Remember, if you were here last week, the significance of this repetition of the phrase peace in a world that hates Jesus and will hate them. Jesus comes with double effect, triple effect for the disciples who were there in the first instance. He's overcome the world, Jesus is saying. He's secured their forgiveness. He's created peace between God and them. And they will experience then the Holy, the peace that the Holy Spirit brings as it dwells within them. Peace be with you. And it's worth stopping for a moment to see how gently Jesus restores Thomas. Imagine how he could have come in. Thomas, you fool. You're a fool. Why don't you believe me? Why didn't you believe me? Were you not with me every time we talked about this? And Jesus, in the way that he does, he's firm and yet so gentle. Read verse 27 with me. And he said to Thomas, imagine the moment, pick out uh, the picture that captures it best for you as the disciples are there. Thomas, come here. Come here, my lovely friend. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. See, Jesus presents Thomas with all the evidence he needs. See what the response of Thomas is? It's one of worship. My Lord and my God. Again, I doubt he was stood opposite him. I guess he was right on his knees in absolute adoration, in bewilderment. Here was Jesus, fingers in the wounds, hand in the side, my Lord and my God. See, Thomas's worship was based upon the evidence before him. And so there are two things about our faith. There are two things about what we believe in. And here's the first one. That, that our faith is reasonable. Your faith this morning is reasonable. It is built upon the evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's reasonable. It's rational. Some of my friends scoff at the idea of faith. Langs, you commit intellectual suicide. You see, they think we disengage our brain. They think we have to disengage our mind to believe in such things. That it's a blind leap in the dark. Oh, many of my friends say, oh, it's great. Oh, good for you. Okay, great. Super. But they think I have to disengage my mind. 
And see, this story tells me, tells you, that Thomas's worship, his belief comes off the back of evidence. It's evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus taking place. His faith is reasonable. Christian faith is built upon firm foundations of historical facts. It's not just a set of ideas. We are required to engage our brains. We're encouraged to engage our minds, to think critically, to think rationally, to look at the evidence within the Gospels. Jesus presents Thomas with all the evidence he needs to believe. Had he thought his friends had gone crazy? Had he thought that his friends were just starting a myth, a nice myth, a myth that would make them feel better? Jesus, at that moment, appeared right in front of them. But you see, for us, even though it's reasonable faith, it is still faith. I'm encouraged to engage my mind to investigate the historical facts of the Bible and of Jesus, and then to believe in them, and then to trust in them. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 states that we walk by faith, not by sight. We're certainly not in the place that Thomas was. It's reasonable faith, but it is still faith. Look at verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's Jesus talking about us. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about the church at Magdalen Road. He's talking about us as we believe. Blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. We're not presented with the physical evidence before our very eyes. But we still claim that it's reasonable and rational. We believe on the basis of what others have told us. I have to exercise my mind and decide what I'm going to do with it. I have to read the gospel and decide, is that true or isn't it? Of course we shouldn't believe everything we're told in life. But wisdom says, do not refuse something just because you haven't witnessed it. Doesn't it? If you're struggling, doubting the Christian faith is real, if you'd say you're not a Christian, wisdom says, please don't refuse it today on the basis that you simply haven't witnessed it with your own eyes. July the 8th, 1954, Roger Bannister, a stone's throw away from here, ran a mile in under four minutes. I cannot claim, just because I wasn't there, that it didn't actually happen. See, wisdom says don't refuse something just because you haven't witnessed it. And so, if it is reasonable... If it is rational, if my mind has engaged and come to the conclusion that it's true, and I've trusted in it, what about the doubts that I still have, that we still have as we walk in our Christian faith, walk by faith, not by sight? How do we deal with the niggling little doubts? 
See, it's often our circumstances, isn't it, that change how we trust in the Lord Jesus. It's often our expectations about life as we're challenged to think about God and His existence. See, the Bible gives us so many answers to those questions. Is God loving? Yes, He is. The Bible teaches me, is he really in control of all things in my life? Yes, he is. But what about the 2,000 people killed in the earthquake? What about the hundreds drowning in the Mediterranean as they flee war and tyranny in their country? Why doesn't God do something about my health? Why doesn't he give me a new job? Why doesn't he sort out my accommodation issues? I walk by faith, not by sight. But my circumstances often dictate how I trust the God of the Bible. Many stories of the Bible record the struggles of faith that great people have. Hebrews 11 records men and women of the faith standing firm amidst terrible and difficult trials. The psalmist cries out, how long, O Lord, question mark. How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? The doubts are real. The questions are real. We should never be surprised when we face doubts as Christians. Christian faith is faith, after all. And it is not by sight. But you see here in verse 30 and 31, this is exactly why John writes his gospel. Exactly. To the person that struggles believing that it's true and to the Christian who does know it's true but struggles to continue believing it 100% every day, living for it. See what John writes in verse 30 and 31. Let's read together. Jesus performed many other miracles in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See what John is saying? Understand, engage your minds, then believe. You've got to trust in the eyewitness accounts and the apostles' writing, and then you experience life. And why does John drive this home? Because faith isn't just reasonable. It isn't just rational. Faith is essential. You see, this is a matter of life or death. And you'll remember some verses, famous verses from John's Gospel. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. See, this is why we meet as a church, to read, to be taught from the Bible, to help us engage our minds with God's words so that we would believe this week, to meet with others, to encourage each other to continue to believe and live for Christ. C.S. Lewis put it brilliantly. If you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith 
in Christianity. I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by an honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? That's our danger. Not that someone would come along with a brilliant argument that's going to take us away from Christianity, but that we would just drift. It's so easy to drift, to slowly lose faith and heart. We lose sight of the importance of faith. We lose the conviction to help our friends and colleagues trust in Jesus. See, I need this church. I need friends at Moreland Road. I need the Bible opened each Sunday to help me come back to what I know. I need the encouragement of the body of believers to help me keep believing. I need my home group to keep me accountable, to live for Christ. I need to keep believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that daily I can exclaim, as Thomas does, my Lord and my God. So friends, I beg you, keep exposing me to the Lord Jesus. Keep exposing each other to the Lord Jesus because it's only him. As he shows himself through the words of the Bible, as he prompts and probes through his spirit within me to keep trusting, to keep believing. And what I cannot say, but on what I trust in. It is life and death. Keep helping me see the Lord Jesus. Not the Lord Jesus on the cross, but the risen Lord Jesus. The one who's alive today. The one who has smashed death to pieces. The one who's given me hope to live this side of heaven. Assurance and the ability to fight sin each day. And the hope of eternal life to come. For then, every tear will be wiped away. No more pain. No more sorrowing. No more unbelief. See, on that final day, we'll not just believe, but we'll see Him. We'll see Him for who He truly is. And so we're going to sing. We're simply going to sing that we stand amazed in the presence. And if you can't stand and sing that you're amazed to be stood in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, before we sing, why don't we take one or two moments that God, by his spirit, would help us to be amazed that we can stand in his presence, the risen Lord Jesus, who's screaming from history, I'm alive. I'm alive. Trust me. Stop doubting and believe.